for a while I went really dark, really, really dark. And it wasn't, you know, I was bitter. I was mad. I was everything. And then something shifted and I don't really know what, um, what shifted, but it changed. And I started recognizing, you know, like I felt like people, all this love was holding us up, like, you know, just holding us up so we could stand and maybe walk, learn how to walk a little bit again. Welcome to your mom. Your mom podcast. Your mom's podcast. This isn't any podcast. This is your mother's podcast. My mom's podcast. Nah, dude, she's your mom. With Ashley Addison and Lisa McCaffrey. Your mom is a podcast. Shut up, dude. Welcome back or welcome to your mom. Uh, I'm, my name is Ashley Adamson. I'm a sports broadcaster by trade trying to raise two young children. My better half on this podcast, Lisa McCaffrey, Stanford educated, and to me, at least, the most famous and celebrated McCaffrey in a family full of superstars. Is that a fair? Highly educated. Highly Hi- educated. Highly educated. Highly educated. <laughs> Best talker I know. Uh, I, and I, we, I say all that to say we've picked up a few new listeners. So for those Yay. who have just found us, welcome. Yep. Glad to have you here. Quick reset. Lisa's son, Christian, in his sixth year with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, your youngest, Luke, is a wideout at Rice. And the other mm-hmm. three men in your life are all at Northern Colorado. So husband, Ed, is the head coach. Your oldest son, Max, is the offensive coordinator. And kid number three, Dylan, is the quarterback. Did I... Did I get that right? You did. Good job. Uh, you did way better than I did. Are there any <laughs> other men in your life that you want to mention in the opening? Not that I want to mention. <laughs> we have a truly remarkable guest with us today. And Lisa, when we first got together and came up with our list of guests that we wanted to come on this podcast, what it was like a year ago, mm-hmm. Martha Thomas was on the top of the list. You, you've right. known her for a long time. She's the mom, of course, of NFL defensive lineman Solomon Thomas, who played at Stanford. Same class and, and from what I understand, a very close friend of Christian's. Correct. Yes. And even more important, she's a very close friend of mine, even though we're on the boys are on separate teams and we, you know, it's hard to keep in touch all the time. But yes, I consider her one of my dear, awesome friends. And she is a joy. I love this woman. I love her family. I love her husband. I love her. And I love, I loved Ella. I love Ella still. I love her spirit. I love her. And we are going to talk about Ella and I, I just appreciate Martha coming on for so many reasons. And and you mentioned Ella, most importantly to all of this, she's got just a powerful personal message to share. Ella, Solomon's older sister, her only daughter, died by suicide almost five years ago, January of 2018. Um, she was 24, and as Lisa said, I mean, by all accounts, and I've heard so much about her, just this amazing, vibrant light of a human. So there's obviously no blueprint or manual for how a family gets through grief and tragedy like this. And while I I can't imagine what they've been through, the thing that just I admire and is so inspiring is that Martha, her husband, Chris, and Solomon have just channeled that pain and have dedicated themselves to helping people, educating people, and and ending the stigma around mental health so that other families um, don't have to experience the devastation that that they did and that they continue to to feel on a daily basis. So they started an organization that we're going to talk with her about called the Defensive Line, And the mission there is to reduce suicide in young people, and in particular, young people of color. Um, And we know, I mean, Martha's been so busy this month because September is Suicide Awareness Month. So we feel so lucky that she made the time for us today. An amazing woman and a mother 
in every sense of the word. And we all know that our listeners will take something very powerful from this conversation with Martha Thomas. We are so excited about our guest today. One of my dear, dearest friends that we met um, on Christian and Solomon's recruiting visit out to Stanford. And I remember me and David Shaw in the corner huddled together trying to, what can we do to convince Solomon Thomas to come here? What do we need to do? And I go, I got it. I'm going to talk to his mom. And then he's like, wait, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't be part of it. We really want him to come here. I'm like, oh. Darn. And then once he committed, then bam. But no, they both were on the same recruiting visit and became the bestest friends. And I'm so happy that he went through all that process together. They had each other and it was so fun. Oh my gosh. What an, oh, those days are just magical. So I am so happy you're here um, doing this with us. So thank you, Martha Thomas. I'm so happy to be here and uh, <laughs> wondering how this conversation is going to go. <laughs> knowing Lisa the way I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've had a lot of fun together. We actually, I mean, it was a recruiting trip. And then when I brought Solomon out to Colorado to ski, we came and stayed oh, with you. I forgot about that. And, yeah. we, and the best, I mean, not the best, but one of the things we found out, we have the same taste in art. Yes. We have the same art, same art in, our, in both of our houses, which was yes. really cool. Yes, you came out and that was, oh, that was so fun. Yeah, I remember being freezing cold outside, sitting in my kitchen, talking and how excited we were. And I was very thankful Solomon got through skiing without any injuries. So, so yeah, yeah most importantly, was, yeah, it was more already, important, you know, the and that was the actual last time he skied, you know, because yeah, he was already com had, had just committed to Stanford, you know, he had, and he has never done it since and he misses it. He talks about it every Aww. winter. He'll get back to it. He'll have plenty of time to do it later. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I I want to hear, Martha, your recollection of meeting Lisa for the first time. Did she, did she come over like guns blazing, ready to have you join? Like, was she like, okay, you got it. We got to get Solomon to Stanford. What do you remember about that? Ooh. Um, well, well, wait, I know we, I remember that recruiting visit. They, Christian wasn't in yet. So I remember the whole recruiting visit, like loving every minute of it, but he had not gotten in yet technically. And then they were like, they would, I remember like some of the coaches would grab some of the kids aside and tell them. And I'm like, we were like one of the last ones to be let known that we were getting in. So it was, I remember that whole like drama and just being completely we, the whole time. Do you remember we start, that? Yeah. We started screaming at yeah, a restaurant right, and, right, and right. Alto, like we stopped the whole restaurant. It was we're a so nice classy, restaurant too. Classy people. <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah, those were those were wild days. Yeah. And that were. was when so that was when you found out that Christian got in, or did you get and how did Solomon. you find out that Solomon they got found out at the same time? Yeah. yeah. And it was like one of the last nights too. Remember? Yes. Was, yeah. yeah. Wow. You're falling in love with everything and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then wait a minute, is he in? Can he yeah. get able to go? And we both were talking about it in the corner, like, he got in that. Can you hear, you know, all the other ones in the group? And so we're like, <laughs> and then we're sitting there going, well, we really want our kids to go here, but right. maybe I we shouldn't yeah. encourage them anymore. Like, they're exactly. not going like, to get in. Arkansas's not looking that bad. <laughs> Martha, I've got to ask you too, because I think that's a moment. And, and obviously, Ed and Lisa both went to Stanford, are very familiar with it. But for for you as a mom, like that moment when not only does Stanford want your son to come play, but that then they they do they get he got into Stanford and there are so many special football players and really smart and talented football players, people in general who who never get to realize and understand that dream. So like what was what was that like for you watching that journey from him as just a little boy to being able to have that moment where he got accepted to Stanford? 
I think I think we cried. I mean, I, I think we we all cried. I mean, and you know, Ed and Lisa, because this is what they wanted for Christian, and they knew how great it could be. And us, because it, I mean, it was a dream come true for for Solomon, and he had. You know, Stanford doesn't play with their recruiting process. They don't play with admissions. Um, so there were other colleges where Solomon got accepted without ever filling out a, paper, a piece of paper. Wow. Um, and and so that was that was like, and and at Stanford, you want your kid to get the best education possible. And it wasn't just like you get on that campus and you realize it's not just one dimensional. It is so creative and there's so many different opportunities. And, you, you know, as a, a kid going into college for sports, that was not where I wanted him, you know, like that wasn't kind of what I envisioned as a, as my kids going to college was to go for sports. But I mean, that, it was the best of every possible world, you know, like it was really good. Now you have a teaching background, Martha, is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. I have been a history teacher on and off for many, many years. <laughs> but most recently, and you just retired Texas. recently. Yes. So yeah. I left teaching um, to work for our nonprofit full time. Um, and I still miss the kids. I love yeah. uh, my students. I did seventh graders, and they are insanely funny. Most of the time, they have <laughs> such a great sense of humor. Um, you know, are able to laugh at themselves. They're, they're not too proud to laugh at themselves. And um, really interested in learning. So uh, I miss, I certainly miss the students. God bless you. That is a tough age, <laughs> to be honest, but good. It's a smelly age too. <laughs> really smelly. That is true. <laughs> oh, what do you remember about Christian when you met him? Okay. I, I'd love to hear kind of your, when, when Solomon and Christian became friends and it just, what, what was your impression of, of Christian when you guys first connected? So probably my best memory of Christian was really at their home when we stayed with them when they were seniors in high school. So uh, it was Christian and his brothers, you know, like it was that all four of them were, were there together and they just like wrapped Solomon up. It's like Aww. he instantly became a brother, you know, and, and they were so warm um, and competitive. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a fun way like it was it was fun and um you know I think Ed was sitting there trying to go who is this woman in my house like why is she here you know and I love Ed I love hanging out with Ed but I and I think he loves me too but at first he was like yes yes what, what is going on here is she as mouthy as my wife you know like because I don't know if I can do two he's fine oh my gosh out of all the stuff I've had to put up with with all boys he's fine he can handle it so at Stanford uh, we had a really uh, vibrant parent group and um, it was it's it was and still is still very is. active so we have lots of group chats and we but we had the best uh, tailgates before and dinners and it was, it is. It, it's one of, you know, out of all the schools we've been to, it was one of the most supportive groups. And like you said, still is, I love that group chat. I mean, sometimes there's a lot of dings on my phone a day, but it is a, everyone's support, they happy birthdays and let's get together for this game. And it's, it's a really, really, really fun group that everyone kind of supports each other. We sort of went through that 
I mean, it seems like it was only three years for Christian and I think Solomon too, but it was like, just, we were so bonded. We were so yeah. bonded. And we, do you remember we lost that first game to Northwestern and the sky was falling. It was like, Oh my gosh, you know, what did we get ourselves into? And everyone was so depressed, but then they just turned it around and ended up just having like the most amazing year you could ever ask for. It was such a fun year looking back yeah. and just, I remember being nervous and stressed and oh my gosh. And Solomon was like the anchor of our defense and just oh, obviously <laughs> killed it because, you know, went on and was the third pick in the draft and was, oh my gosh. Like I know I can remember every big play he made. And I remember the USC game when he picked up that fumble, ran in for a touchdown was, and we needed that <laughs> touchdown. I still, I'm like, oh my gosh. I was, remember that perfectly. You remember that as well. Well, and I just want to say, I love like, and, and I, I've seen it from the outside, but to hear you guys talk about how special that parent group is, mm -hmm. because I, I remember we went, I went to a, we did some interview and it was we, the SID at the time was like, Hey, let's, let's go to the parent tailgate. Cause you'll get to really connect. And I remember, and this was probably, I don't think either of you were there. So I think, I don't know if it was, if, if Solomon and Christian were there this year, it was maybe before they got there, but I just remember looking around, Oh, Shane Scove's parents, I think was who I connected <laughs> okay. with. And I just was looking around and I'm like, I've never seen so many parents. It, it was a true like connection and friendship mm -hmm. and bond. I could, I could just feel it from being even at that tailgate for an hour. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, like that shared experience and commonality of understanding like parents, you guys had a connection of understanding what it's mm -hmm. like to watch your child go right. out there and in, their teammates in, and they're so close and it's a special thing. It yeah. really it is. And to piggyback off that, it's, it is a, a, I think we're so bonded. Part of the reason is we, there's a lot of kids that come from all over the country that go to Stanford. It's not a, just exclusively California kids. It's, all over the country. So yep. everyone is walking into this like, wow, I'm, I'm sending my kid pretty far away. And so we all kind of like globbed onto each other because we were all in the same boat. And so we'd call me like, hey, are you know, are you going out there? If so, can can you get Christian toilet paper or whatever the, whatever the case yeah. is, you know, like, Oh, Solomon needs a bath. Hey, can you get, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait. So we have to tell the bath story, Martha. Like, Oh my gosh. I remember I went, Oh, I went out and I got a hotel room that had a bath. And I just remember Christian or with, Oh, I said this. I said, when Max was at Duke, um, he would love to come over and take a bath because they didn't have a bath in their dorm rooms. I mean, dorm rooms are kind of disgusting. They have these showers, communal showers, and they're gross. So I was like, Max used to love to come to the Washington Duke and uh, Washington, come to the Washington Duke and take, just take a bath. That was it. And I'm like, oh, so I offered that to Martha. I go, Hey, if I'm ever out to Stanford and Solomon wants to take a bath, he's welcome to come to my, my hotel room. And then, after I said it, I'm like, that is probably the most appropriate <laughs> thing that's ever come I out think, of my mouth. And yeah, I think I like went, you like looked at me. Like, wait, what did you just say? And you said it again. Like <laughs> he can come take a bath. At, you know, I will leave the room and he could just have the room. I'll go shopping. I promise I'm not gonna be in the room. But it just they work so hard and they're just so tired. And I just have good bath. I don't know. Just I know Christian loves and to do it. Anyway, yeah, it it's fine. Oh, you're so thoughtful, Lisa. Yeah, it was just so bad. I was trying to be helpful, I promise. I remember telling Chris, hey, Lisa says you can go to her hotel room and take a bath. And he went, Mom, that's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness but oh, just so that we can like set the record straight no baths were taken there was not one i no did baths. not give okay. solomon thomas a bath for the okay. record okay right. let's i just want to make sure that we get that very clear mm -hmm. can we talk about though the fact that like solomon is and when i i remember first when i first met him and callie who's part of the stanford football program who we absolutely love um yeah. she said it perfectly too she was like solly is the kind of guy that 
he's this, like when you're around him, you just want to hug him. Like he's yeah. this teddy bear who is the most mm -hmm. thoughtful, polite, sweet, kind. I mean, and I felt all of those things every single time I got to talk to him. I was like, God, I am just so taken yeah. with you. And then you'd see him, he was like this teddy bear off the field. And then you'd see him on the field. And it was like some switch had just been flipped. Yes. And I, I just, I'm curious for you as a mom, like what mm -hmm. is, how do they do that? And Christian's like the same way. It's like, there's just a, mm -hmm. such a different disposition from when they're off the field to when they're on and you're watching him play and you're like, oh my God, he's just, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a different feeling. He's like a machine out there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is like, it truly is like a switch has been flipped. I don't know that person that plays on the football field. <laughs> like yeah. I don't really, he, that's not my son, you know, like it is, this person that's been inhabited <laughs> like by, taken over. Yeah. Yeah. And he, like, I knew this past week he was texting us. We always send him quotes and stuff right before the game. And he texted back and he said, I want to hit someone. And I went, Oh shit. It's, it's, it's like, game, on. <laughs> game on game mode. <laughs> oh, like, okay then. All right, go have fun, have at it. Oh, I, I, hundred percent, I agree with that. That assessment of him, he is. He's you. Just you want to give him a hug, and he's like you said, just so considerate and so polite, and just like a big teddy bear. That's exactly what he is. And then on the field, it's oh my gosh, he's ferocious. He's like a hippo, you know, like a strong, <laughs> stout hippo, but like fast too. You're like, wait, he's weighs what? And he's like a bathable hippo. A that is your son. <laughs> They like hippos, like their baths. They, they like do. their water. They do. They love baths. <laughs> oh but it, I did. I thought I read somewhere that he was born premature. He was only three pounds when he was born. Is that? He was four. He was, he was four? born okay. seven weeks premature. Um, so our daughter, Ella, was born nine weeks premature and was three pounds. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, we don't know what he'd look like if he'd been full term. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have been really lucky. <laughs> there was probably a reason that your body was like, okay, we're going to no. just let him Done. join the world yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he was pretty healthy, only stayed in the hospital a few weeks and came home and was small for a few years. Uh, but then like, ne like caught up and never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And then how old were you? You guys went, uh, moved to Australia. How old were the kids? Ella was four and Solomon was two. Okay. Wow. And how many years were you guys there? Five years. Wow. And what yeah. brought you to Australia? It was uh, my husband's job, Chris's job. Um, and it was a great time. And yeah. we, a we actually tried to stay, um, but weren't going to be able to stay with the company he was with. So we were going to have to change. And my dad got sick and Chris's mom was sick. And so it just seemed like it was time to come home. Yeah. Oh. But I do imagine that family bond. And I actually, my, my husband is named Chris as well. And I talked to him mm -hmm. a lot about and he knows this. I, I'm dying to go move abroad. I just, yeah. I really think it's for the family unit. If you can do it and it can work with careers and all the things, like it's such a special, unique experience. And I mean, how, how do you think that changed your family unit, just even from having those four years when they were young? Oh, yeah. It was, it was wonderful. I mean, it, we didn't have a lot of other distraction. I mean, we made great friends. The kids got involved in things. We got involved in things, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of, oh, you're supposed to be doing this because your kids, you know, they're, and Australia has this kind of really outdoor, you know, culture. So, you know, the kids would go to preschool or whatever, and we'd go down to the beach after, after school and just 
hang out and eat fish and chips. And mm -hmm. it was great. Like it was, it was a wonderful time. We camped all over Australia. Wow. Um, we traveled in Southeast Asia, traveled mm -hmm. in New Zealand several times. Um, you know, just all of that is good. But the camping was my favorite stuff. Yeah. I, I've heard Solomon talk about it just so fondly. He just, that he'll never forget those five years. He just talks about it and loves it. And then Ed and Dylan were able to go to Australia with you, Chris, and Solomon one year yeah. before. Oh, that's right. What was that before? I Gosh, I don't remember. It was before they played. this. Yeah, the Stanford. There. Yes. Yeah. Right. So and it was after the draft. Okay, right. Because they were promoting the game. So they all yeah. went. And then, yeah, and Ed and Dylan got to go and have a nice trip to Australia and they had a blast with you guys. They had so much fun. So. <laughs> yeah, we had a good yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Our next interview, I think we should do it in Australia. I think the three of us should go yes. to Australia. Yes. We will I think that's we're just Done. gonna speak that into existence. Done. I like it. I Martha, I read a, a quote from one of the articles um where you were quoted that is just like totally stuck in my brain. And it it said that you're one of your proudest feats as a mom was your kids' close relationship. So mm -hmm. Ella and Solomon's relationship. And that is something that, you know, certainly I can speak for myself, like, that's what I pray that my kids will have, that they will be close. Can you describe their relationship? And, and what was it that made them so tight? <laughs> um, part of it was going, you know, our time in Australia. Yeah. Um, and they shared a room, a bedroom the whole time we were there. Um, you know, which is maybe a little weird girl and boy, but we just didn't have it was they don't have ginormous houses for the most part in the area of Sydney that we lived in. But um, yeah, it, I mean, it was like they had their own language. You know how they say twins have their own language? It was almost like they had their own language and they could get going. And we always sat down for dinner together, the four of us. Um, and the two of them could start talking and like, it was like Chris and I didn't even exist, <laughs> you know, like, wow. and then they had some years in middle school when Ella was like uh, eighth grade where it was not great. And then it was amazing again. It was like, you know, they were just both very different, you know, it was those years where, ooh, you know, Solomon had gotten really heavy um, and was not uh, easy to get along with. <laughs> <laughs> really and was it just something he was going through as just a kid team. and a yeah, yeah yeah I think we had moved to back from Australia we moved to Connecticut he had really bad asthma both of them had it bad asthma but his had gotten really really bad and he he really couldn't do a lot and he ate and well, played video games <laughs> <laughs> and Ella was like, I'm all set. Yes. Yeah, Ella was like, I'm going to know, play rocket. Well, Solomon, have fun. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know, there was a point that he got to that he got so tired of being cut from teams or not being allowed to play or not being the kid picked that he wanted to get good at something. And so he worked on basketball. I think it was like the end of his sixth grade year. So he, uh, he would had wa really wanted to get on this team of kids from the town, our town, and it didn't happen. <laughs> well, I wish wow. all of those kids that didn't pick him for the team could uh, n like fast forward to 2017 when he's the number third pick in the, in yeah. the draft. Yeah, like, I think that was, wow. yeah. you, know. you know, Martha, I never knew that. I did not know that he didn't make the team, but man, we, we talked um, a couple episodes back with Ryan Leaf's moms about adversity and 
I'm glad he had that that adversity. Mm -hmm. And it, like her, Ryan Leaf's mom said, I wish he had had some more adversity growing up because it was almost too easy for him in their small town, this amazing athlete. So in a way, wow, that maybe contributed to some of Solomon's fight, you know, yes. some of his, oh, absolutely. his like, you know, incredible, you know, switch, maybe that contributed to a switch on the field that he's able to do that. Cause you know, if you just meet Solomon, you're like, there's no way this guy's a football player. He's too nice. He's the nicest kid you've ever met. And, but yeah, like you said, maybe that, you know, wanting to make the team and not making it and then having to work even harder could have contributed to him just, you know, being a stud, just a incredible athlete and a baller. So that's, I kind of, like that in a way, as hard as it probably was for him at the time. And you as the mom watching him go through it, that might've been the best thing that ever happened to him. In a I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. When did you realize he was special, Martha? Like, when did you really step back and say, holy cow, you have an opportunity to what, really... What kind of special are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. That he could get into and play at Stanford. Uh, ooh. Um, that he could play at Stanford probably his sophomore year of high school when a lot of offers started rolling in and it was like, what? Like, is he, cause he didn't play varsity football as a freshman. He, he played on the freshman team. But he, he was at one of those powerhouse schools in Texas. Like the, I mean, one of those ones you read about and see and he was at. So, but still yeah, go on and do what he did and not even play freshman year is pretty. Yeah. Wild. And then just like, you know, starting to see him in games and it really all coming together. Um, one of his coaches, Steve Feck, said, said to me, you watch him. Like he started saying this to me in ninth grade. You, you watch him. He's one of the best players I've ever coached. You watch and see what happens. Wow. And it it happened. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you do anything like get him, you know, private lifting people or do, or do anything like that? Or did he just, you know, do that on his own with his team? Or anything? He had, uh, he went to like the school uh, training. It's kind of sponsored by the school, uh, but they, they had their own gym. Okay. You know, the school encouraged them to go. So he went um, and worked and then stayed with the trainer that was there uh, and did extra work with him. So I want to hear about about Ella. And Lisa mentioned just what an amazing woman she was. What uh, describe describe Ella to me? What who was she? Do you have a, like some favorite memories of 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 what she brought to your life? Uh, well, one one word to describe her, which you know, I think Lisa would agree with this. She was feisty. You, know? <laughs> you just, uh, that's yeah, why I remember the elevator before the Rose Bowl. We get in the elevator. I think you were there and Ella was there. It might've just been she and I don't know. And it was full of Iowa fans as everywhere in Southern California was during that time. And she just like lit up. She rose to the occasion. She was like, we're going to beat you guys today. And she was in Stanford clothes and we were there. And I'm like, oh gosh, are we going to get in a fight here? And she's like, we're going to be, and they were funny. They rolled with it. They were awesome. Cause oh, she just had this ever effervescent personality and she could get away with stuff like that. And just everyone laughed. I, I, oh, I, I, I love her. So her personality just, to, you know, it's just amazing. You unforgettable, unforgettable. You knew when Ella entered a room. And you did. You absolutely did. And loved it. And you were yeah. better for it. Yeah, I used to just love to sit back and watch her in a room. Like she would make friends with everyone. She was kind to people. Um, you know, she she later on became a server, but she would uh, and a bartender. Um, but you know, if she was in a restaurant or a bar, she'd be super nice to the you know whoever was helping out, whoever was there. 
make friends, you know, all of a sudden Ella's got all these people's phone numbers and she's taking, you know, oh, I'm going out with so-and-so, you know, I'm like, who are they? (laughs) Magnetic, just a a magnetic person, but also feisty. That's an amazing combination. How would you, I guess, describe her mental health journey? Was there, were there signs early on that, that, did you know that something wasn't quite right? Um, You know, she was like off the charts, ADHD. Um, And, but also did well enough in school, um, didn't cause problems. So through school, it was hard to get her help. Um, You know, and and we tried a lot of different strategies with her. Um, So I think that that was that, as school progressed in the upper grades, it got more frustrating for her because it was just hard. Yeah. It's hard to sit still. It's hard to get all your homework done. Um, so that I think maybe caused some depression. You know, now that we look back at it, it's like, where did, where did things happen? Like, how did they happen um, the way they did? And then I'm um, going off to the university of Arkansas, like for Ella, the transition from having us as parents, you know, and kind of watching over her to having the freedom at college was way too much. Like something in between would have been great, you know, and, and in retrospect, maybe junior college, maybe, you know, where she stayed at home and went off like a gap year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe something, but she, but it's hard because you, you know, that's not the, that's not the norm. So mm-hmm. you know, you're going, oh, she needs to, you know, she finished high school, go to college, you know, that's not there. But now it's, thank God, it's kind of becoming the norm. Yeah, it is. Well, and it was in Australia. It's what pretty oh. much everyone did. They take a gap year, you wow. know, they go traveling for the most right. part. Um, and parents provide them with insurance and a plane ticket home. Wow. You know, and it's like, go, you have this much money saved. You can last this long. So. Um, and ha- so how did she do at Arkansas? How was, what did you, when you visit her, did you, could you tell that things weren't going well or did she, did she talk to you guys about kind of her struggles there? Um, some, yeah, we, we knew some of it. Uh, you know, I went up with her a few times, tried to get her some extra help because she was eligible for it with her diagnosis of ADHD, mm-hmm. but she just wasn't really following up on stuff and wasn't, her social life <laughs> was super important. And then at uh, some point um, early on in her sophomore year, she was doing a lot better. Things seemed to be going well. Her grades had vastly improved. And then all of a sudden she stopped going to class and stopped doing anything. And that was when uh, we found out later that she had been gang raped at a fraternity party. So, and that just switched everything for her. Did, how did she tell you that? Did she tell you? Yeah, she did tell us. And she told Chris and I together one night. How long after, how long after it had happened? Did she tell you? Um, maybe like five months. Okay. It took her a while, but, um, so some, one of her friends here had really encouraged her to tell us she had told them. And it, it was like, Chris assumed that I'd known. I didn't had no idea um and really just got her like it it just it made sense like right. it made sense because something why right happened. something triggered her grades dropping and every yeah yeah and just not caring just mm-hmm. you know she just didn't care so martha what do you do as a as a mom when 
your, I mean, that's one of the worst things that if your daughter comes in and sits down and tells you that, I don't, what, what did you do in that moment? How did you handle it? Uh, I held her, yeah. you know, we just held her. Um, we literally piled on her. Um, so, you know, and then she was still up in Arkansas. Like, so she was going back. Uh, she was going to try to get help, uh, you know, her, herself together and get finished out the semester in school. And I went up and I, uh, she didn't want to go to the university counseling center. So um, I set up an appointment for her and went, actually went with her. Um, and, you know, I, I, uh, away from the university. And so it was, you know, uh, it just, I don't, I don't know. Like it's really hard once your kid turns 18, you right. know, and especially if they're not, if it's not attached to the university, they can't tell you anything. It's a, even, a little easier now, but for a while it was almost impossible. Well, I don't know, Martha, if you've connected with Katie Myers parents, um, the Stanford goalie who, who died by suicide last year. And their, their entire push is basically right around that is this, you know, the Katie save is the name of the organization that they've started. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to have an adult advocate that you the basically that when you go to college, because I think pe people don't quite understand that if you haven't had a kid go to college, that when you turn 18 and go to school, no matter who's right. paying the bill, yeah, right. there's yeah. no communication, whether it's mm -hmm. grade related, whether it's right. a mental health issue, like whatever, if there's, mm -hmm. um, you know, disciplinary action, yes. like none of that is communicated. No. Right. And it's, it's kind of amazing, because you talk about just like that drop in support of like, okay, they're, you're technically an adult, goodbye. Yeah. And it's that's it just leads to a lot of things. So Katie's parents, um, Gina and Steve, are, that that is what they are pushing really hard for it. Basically, mm -hmm. that you would sign off as um, you would you would choose an adult advocate to yeah. and, and the student when they come and they'd say, OK, this is if something happens, this person has the right to be told, informed, yeah. informed and it's the, totally voluntary. Yeah. It, the problem is that they can go if something's going on, they can go in and change at any time, too. Yes. So, I mean, that's the, yes. the thing, right? Like, as a, you know, yep. I will say, you know, Ella, I don't think ever wanted to disappoint us. Right. That's you know, yeah. and so yeah. we were the last person, people that knew about some of the things going on in her life. Um, and then do you have Solomon, who's, you know, just excelling and doing everything. And I'm sure she felt that, too. Um, yes. you, know, you can't help it, but feel right. it, I'm sure. So that must, that I would think would be hard for her, but I will say this, Martha, I know you, I watched you two together. You, you are an amazing, you are amazing mom. You're an amazing, you did. I, I know you did. I'd watch you. I'm like, I was jealous. I was like, Oh gosh, I wish I had a daughter. I was like, I was like, you guys, <laughs> I, I used to think that all the time. I'd like leave games like, Oh gosh, Martha and Ella are so cute. And I wish I had a daughter like Ella too. Cause I've, I've probably oh, she could scream so loud at games. It was <laughs> impressive. It was impressive. When did she come back home um, after, or, or after that semester, did she come home and stay home then? No, she stayed up in Arkansas for a while. She got a job as a bartender, was paying all of her own bills, was making a lot of money, seemed okay. Um, but then she wasn't. And so uh, we asked her to come home Um so she started, she still had an apartment up like through July uh, of 2017 in Arkansas. So she had full-time been home, you know, 
six months before she died. So. I, would you share how you found out that she died? What, what was, I, I think it's like something that I don't even know how to ask that question. Yeah. And I don't, I can't imagine like the pain and the grief and revisiting it. So if you don't want to revisit it, I totally understand. But no, she didn't go to work. Like she didn't show up at work. And, um, you know, she'd shared her location um, with me and didn't always, but had been lately, you know, so she Martha, was, were, sorry, were you worried about her at this time? Yes. You were, you, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we, we had been, you told me the night before you were with her and you guys yeah. were lying in your bed and you were trying to encourage her to stay home with you. And you're like, yes. oh, just stay home. We'll just watch a movie. And she's like, well, I have work. And she's like, I got to go to work. So I'm going to go over to my friend's house where I'm closer to work and spend the night there. Yeah. Right? She, she had her work clothes there. So she yeah. was going to have to go get them anyways. Yeah, I did. I mean, and we had had a lovely evening together. Um, she always mm -hmm. used to take my phone and take selfies um, <laughs> on her phone. And so she was taking selfies of, she had my phone in her hand. I have all these photos of her and the dog, her dog, <laughs> Mickey, um, that she brought home with her that is still with us. Um, Isn't that Mickey? And, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, she just, she didn't, didn't go into work. And I kept trying to call her and reach her and called, finally called her friend who I'd only met one time. And um, he said, yeah, you should get over here. I'm like, I don't know where you are. Like, I don't know where you are. So, um, yeah. So I just, I, I went and um, there were police there already. Mm. Did you know right away when you saw well, the police were there? Well, I asked, um, I kept asking, you know, well, can I go see my daughter? No, it's a criminal investigation. And I said, yeah, but it's my daughter. Can I go see her? And they wouldn't let me go see her. So then very quickly it changed to, is, is what's wrong? Like, is she not alive? Is she, well, no, you need, you need to sit down. You know, you need to sit. <laughs> it was, it was awful. And where was Chris? Chris? Where was Chris? Chris was New York. New York. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I mean, I'm I will sure tell you that there sure. are points of this that yeah. I know it's like a movie yeah. details and points that I have no memory of at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Chris, uh, my principal had gone with me and Chris, uh, he called Chris. I didn't even know I hadn't called him. And then Chris called Solomon. And Solomon was actually in town then. That's right. Well, oh. and I, I'm just you dealing with that, like the most horrific grief and loss that any human can experience. And in the midst of that, you're thinking about Ella and yourself and Chris, but how much did you worry about Solomon? I mean, he had just finished his rookie season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was, um, I was really worried about him because he they were so close. They were best friends. You know, they were, they were ride or die. Remember? They yes. <laughs> and you felt yeah. that when you were around them, like you yeah. said, they finished each other's sentences. They, they would, they, there was a bond there like no other, like you just, they loved each other. Like you said that about my boys, how they, you know, were like a unit. They, they loved each other. Yeah. Everybody knew Ella, all the Stanford guys knew Ella. They loved Ella. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, worried. 
immensely about him. And he went out, but you know, back to to the team and the season, and it wasn't great. You know, like I could tell, and I kept asking him, you know, Solomon, you got to get some help. You got to get some help. And you know, at some point in time, he had sat down with one of the therapists at the Niners, and another player came and got him and said, yo, man, you can't sit with her. And he's like, why? Everyone will think you're weak. You got to stay away. Stay away from them. Wow. Wow. You know, <sighs> and that, um, and then I eventually went to um, the people at player personnel. I can't, we were talking to him about something else. And I said, you got to get my son some help because he wouldn't listen to me. He'd be like, mom, you get some help. You go, you know, <laughs> like sassy kids do. <laughs> so, um, you know, and he, he did it. It was evident when he started getting help. It was night and day difference, you know, cause you spiral, right. You spiral right. with the guilt, you spiral with the confusion. Um, suicide is, you know, even four and a half years ago was a whole different ball game kind of than it is now. So, you know, our, our dog, Max, died a month after Ella. Mm. People knew more what to say to us when Max died than they did when Ella died. It's not that people didn't love us. People loved us, of course. They were super supportive. But they didn't know. Most people didn't know what to say. Wow. Martha, what would you say to people? Because I think that is so real, what you just described, is that people often when somebody goes through something that as tragic as that, they don't know what to say. And so oftentimes they don't say anything at all, which right. is, which is worse. So what, what is the right for, for someone who wants to be supportive and be helpful and for people, for what you were going through, like, I'm sure everybody is different, but what did you need at that time? What was helpful? What, what would you say to people who want to support and don't know what to say? Um, say something, say, you don't know what to say. Yeah. I'm here for you. I don't know what to say, but my ears are open. Um, my heart's here for you, you know, like, I just, like, I don't, you know, like this Stanford group are, are, I don't know how many came to Ella's service, Lisa. I don't, I mean, I it was, all of them. it was incredible. It, you know, like just knowing, I, I've said this before, but I, I drew, I'm a, not an artist <laughs> at all, but I drew a post-it note on my desk at work. And it was Chris Solomon and I together with hearts all around us, supporting us. Um, because for a while I went really dark, really, really dark. And it wasn't, you know, I was bitter. I was mad. I was everything. And then something shifted and I don't really know what, um, what, shifted, but it changed. And I started recognizing, you know, like I felt like all this love was holding us up, like, you know, just holding us up so we could stand and maybe walk, learn how to walk a little bit again. And that was, that was, um, that was really a powerful image to keep in my head. Do you still have that post-it note? Yeah. And I will never show it to anyone. (laughs) I mean, I can't even draw a heart symmetrical. (laughs) Wow. When did you start to feel pockets of joy again? Because you talk about the shift, but what? Because I'm I'm sure for a very long time, you feel like you are never going to experience 
the feeling of peace and joy ever again when you when you've gone through that loss so what was there a moment that you yeah I guess first of all uh we did this overnight walk with the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention in June after Ella died and it was powerful just to be able to move with other people who weren't sitting in judgment of you you know weren't saying well you know your daughter didn't go to heaven you know like oh God. <laughs> do people say that have oh people yeah said that? people said that oh god how, how do you feel i mean that your daughter didn't go to heaven oh. yeah so um but but that walk was super important and it was uh, gosh i don't know it was actually here in dallas i don't know how many hundreds of people were in it um and then the next year was in the Bay Area and the Niners came out and did it with us. John Lynch did it with us. Oh. Uh, Tina Turner and his wife, you know, like there were, I don't know, like 40 of us. It was, it was really cool. A um, couple players, Solomon, of course, um, you know, just to be able to walk with your grief, like you learn how to walk. And then all of a sudden there, there are pockets of joy, but one of the things that, I, I miss the most about Ella and I miss not remembering it for a while was how damn funny she was. I mean, she was so funny. Like she could make you laugh yeah. and it was, it just went on and on and on. And she just, I missed like remembering that. And so I think like just starting to be able to remember her joy, you know, cause she had a lot of joy. She, yes. She had a lot of sadness and she had a, lot of pain but she had great joy as well and we all do right like of course you know the more we feel the more we can find this great joy too and you don't have it all the time right no one does no one no. does yeah it wouldn't normal. feel as good if you had it all the time I think that's the sweetness yeah. of joy is that it often when it when it comes you can feel it more acutely when when you've had yeah. it she, I, and I, I never saw the downtime, but I just know her joy and her uptime was like nobody else's. So, <laughs> I mean, it was up when it was up, it was up, it and, was just, up. and she's hilarious. And you're, you gravitate, you would gravitate to her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I have to tell you this story because at first she didn't really want to go out to Stanford because she said, oh, you know, they're going to sit and you know, they're going to be all snooty and all this and all that. <laughs> and uh, she had a couple of, classmates that were there from high school uh chiaka that was a soccer chioma sorry chioma um yubago yes i know yeah. chioma yeah. i've tried to say her name so many times during highlights because she scored all these goals and yes I still yeah. we'll go with chioma though yes so chioma and ella would then walk around to student tailgates and parties and she would come back this campus is so much fun and these people <laughs> don't care anything about anyone except if you're there with them they love you you know and it was so then she wanted to go to a lot more games <laughs> yeah yeah I bet it is it, I do think the perception of what Stanford is from the outside compared to when you're in it and especially that I mean the student athlete community at Stanford is special really, yeah. really special yeah you mentioned something Martha that that kind of the difference of what we know about suicide or even just the stigma around mental health is different than it was four and a half years ago what what is the biggest thing that you think has shifted or what, what do you know about suicide now that you didn't 
know before you guys went went through what you've been through? Yeah. Uh, one thing is uh, asking. You know, it, it does not trigger someone to ask them if they're thinking of suicide. And, um, you know, we, we do these suicide prevention workshops, and that's one of the things we, we have people do is practice saying out loud, are you thinking of suicide? Because I had to go into and sit in front of a mirror to be able to say it, you know, after learning that that was so important and it can actually provide relief and a release of that suicidal feeling um, to be able to say it out loud for someone. And that's, and it's not just, are you okay? It's you, you, it's the words are, are you, is it, are you, are you thinking of harming yourself? Are you thinking of suicide? Yes. Yeah. And then if they do say yes, taking that even further, do you have a plan? So, you know, and then not leaving that person alone. And if they do have, if they are thinking of hurting themselves or, or killing themselves, then making sure if you're the person in the home with them, making sure that if you have guns, that they're locked up. If you have, you know, lots of medicine that it's locked away, whatever might be used, you remove the means. And those are like the kind of immediate things to do. Wow. And I think the thing that, and I, again, just to go back to, to Katie Meyer and, and her family, and I've talked to her dad, Steve, a fair amount. And I, he said one of the things that he's realized is that it struck so many people because there were no signs with Katie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they had no idea. They were making plans. You know, the last time they talked to her, they were making plans for spring break. And they just had, they had no, they had no idea what she was going through and what she was feeling. And so I think one of the things that's hard and that f- I think freaks a lot of parents out and rightfully so, and that's why these conversations are so important, is how do you talk about this type of stuff with your kids when seemingly everything maybe is okay, you know, yeah. is there an entry point or what, what is the, it, you know, what advice would you have knowing what you know now for parents who may be listening to this and say, well, my, my kid's pretty happy. They go through some of the regular, you know, sadness and upswings and downswings, but what's your advice on being able to talk about it? First of all, I mean, that is a lot of the risk factors. AFSP has a graphic that um, has different risk factors. But the one thing that, you know, a lot of those risk factors can look like other teenage behavior or other, you know, manifest as other behavior. So you don't know if you don't ask, you know, how are your mentals? You know, like just make normalizing that, you know, it's you would talk to them. You would take them to the doctor if they broke their leg. You would ask them how their leg was feeling. You would take them to physical therapy. Why? Like, I mean, growing up is just hard. Being a teenager is hard. Being in college is hard. Um, Those transitions from finishing school to going out into the workplace are incredibly stressful, especially at a place like Stanford. But not being afraid to ask about, you know, your mental, how is your whole health, right? Like, because if- if, Being in the NFL, the pressure those guys have everything. Are you kidding me? Right. With, you know, if there's family issues that, I mean, that's- Right. Psychiatrists. Yeah, like- Three NFL teams. Yeah. (laughs) So, right. That's what I I said to Solomon. I said, if you don't have a mental health problem going into into the NFL, you're going to have one going out. You know, it's just, it's too much. And- Fans are crazy and, you know. But yeah, and it's just, it's good to talk to somebody about all these things. 
Maybe yeah. just get it out there and, and, and talk about it and be open about it. And it helps. It helps because everybody has issues. I don't care if it looks on paper, you're the perfect family. They're, I swear, grow, watching my kids grow up and the kid, the families that would act like they're so perfect and they have everything together, like behind the scenes were the most dysfunctional families. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't know why, but they don't, they wouldn't talk about it. I don't know if it's pride or what. And I just, I, I, now they're, now I see it as they're older and there's so many more issues. They have a couple, so many more issues on top top of yeah. everything and it's kind of sad to um watch that whereas What's i feel like this? they could have nipped it in the butt early on if they had been open and talked about stuff because everybody's got crap shit yeah, yeah. i think it's the stigma is what you're what yeah. you're kind of alluding mm -hmm. to lisa and i i you know for solomon i and and for you martha i imagine it's it is exhausting and painful to revisit the story about ella and to open up and share about it and you guys have now dedicated I mean, you retired from teaching so that you could be full time with the defensive line, which is your yeah. nonprofit that you guys yeah. created as a family. So I just, why, I don't want to say why is it important? Cause I know why it's important, but how have you managed to envelop yourself in this work? Because it's every day you're, you're working around the thing that has caused you the most pain in your life. Yeah. Um, one, it's not wanting anyone else to go through what we've gone through. But um, two, feeling like if it was more normalized to talk about it, it wouldn't have had to have been so hard for Ella to talk to us or hard for, I mean, you know, she was the day, week she died, she had an appointment with her therapist on Thursday, you know, like, so what, what is it that we can normalize and make easier for people? Um, you know, and one of the things that we say that we want to do, so we mostly talk to teachers and coaches um, of leader, leaders of young people, you know, so that they can be on the same page as the kids, because the kids are getting the language, whether it's accurate or not is up for question. They watch their TikTok videos and whatever else. There's tons of mental health stuff out there, but it's not always good. And so, but teachers, a lot of times don't know, you know, we I, in my district, we actually were required to do suicide prevention training, um, which wasn't a lot, but it was more than most, most places. So, you know, what is it that we could do to kind of get people to know where the resources are? So there's lots of wonderful resources out there. We don't want to create new resources. We want to get people to know where the resources are yeah. and how to get help. How many, I imagine that you've really impacted some families and I, I don't want you to, I don't want to ask you to share any specific story or names or anything, but have, have you found that joy and that meaning in, in knowing that you have helped other people and other families? Yes. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, there are days where I'm like, I don't want to be doing this. I don't, Yeah. you know, but they're also, you know, like my mom always said, you you're never going to love any job every day. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there are days that I, I don't want to, but then it's also like, wow, you know, this is, seems like really meaningful work. Yeah. It yeah. is really meaningful Making a difference work. for sure. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is meaningful. And it's just, I was um, on a campus somewhat recently and there was a, football player who we were talking to ahead of a game and he opened up uh about his mental health struggle and he has hereditary mental mm. health issues and it was this unbelievable moment 
in the room where he's talking to like five or six adult strangers and you can sort of see he's verbalizing, I think, for one of the first times to people. And he says, you know, no one in the locker room knows. Um, and that's on me. But he said the thing, one of the things that has helped him so much is seeing other people come out and share their story, mm -hmm. which is why he talked about wanting to go eventually share his story when the time was right. But he said that that has been the thing that I, I'm like, you feel so alone. Mm -hmm. He said you, you can't uh, you can't describe like how emotionally numb and alone you feel when you are in these dark places. And so I just want to say the work that you are doing. Um, it is it is for Ella, and I, I imagine I imagine you feel her with you still <laughs> to this day. Does she show up in different in different ways? Absolutely. A lot yeah. of days I feel around my shoulder. I just feel yeah. her going, "Come on, mom, let's go. You can, you can do this." Yeah. You can, do this. you can do this. Mm. Okay. Well, I, we, I could keep you all day and you've been so generous with your time. First and foremost, let's just tell people if they want to support or find out about the defensive line, where can you, where can you send them? Where can they find out more? Um, on uh, social media, uh, but we have a website, the defensive line.org. Um, and we're going to be at the Stanford game on October 8th. I see. And tell yeah. us about that. So we're, uh, the team is recognizing our work um, and we they'll be wearing the t-shirts with our logo on them they'll have the, our help the helmets will be stickered so it's their mental health game um, and they actually approached us because we did uh, we trained all the Stanford coaches earlier this year um, and it was it was really powerful um, and really you know they were in pain and and it actually we had planned uh, to do that we'd started working on our plans with them well before uh, Katie's death. So um, that in itself was, uh, you know, had a, there were a lot of emotions. It yeah. was, it was really meaningful. And then, and Solomon was there with us as well wow. that week. Wow. wow. Okay. Can you come to UNC and do some work there with Ed and his team? Yes, we'd love to. That would be awesome. You know, we had Zach Hoffpower was a coach on our team. Yes. And that was, I, mean, I know, you know that. And ooh. um, yeah, so they, they could use a little, they could, you might want to be great. I think every team, could, right. I, think I know every, every team, team but yeah, every human, yeah. honestly, but like from yeah. an organizational standpoint, yeah. I, I, that's why I'm just saying like, it's, yeah. it need, there needs to be more resources and, and just thought put into it because it's, um, it's the thing. And given yeah. the state of, and, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the data far more than, than I know, Martha, but just the numbers around suicide in young people, yeah. it's devastating. It is devastating. It is devastating. So one of the things that, you know, we say is about for young people under the age of 24, enough people die by suicide every week that it is two thirds the size of a Boeing 737 filled going down once a week. And yep. if, if that was happening, all air traffic would be stopped. Right. Every thing would be stopped and all the planes would be grounded until they figured it out. So, you know, we yeah. all can play a part in this. Yes. And yes. Make it better. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, you're doing, that's what you're doing. You are Martha. doing that. Thank no, it's been fun watching Martha. all of it unfold and you're turning this awful tragedy into a positive and helping so many people. So thank you for that, for everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I do want to end on a on a 
lighter note and just ask you the question that we ask every at the end of every interview. Um, and I did give you the heads up that we were going to ask you this, so hopefully you've put some thought into it. But what would your kids say is the best part about having Martha Thomas as their mom? Let's see. Well, yesterday I signed Solomon up for his New Jersey toll tags. So that might be <laughs> <laughs> still signing him up for that is that reminds me of Chris Darnold when we had her on and she said Sam called me this morning to ask me for his social security number uh, <laughs> they may be making millions in the NFL but they still need mom yeah um you know one like we talked about just facilitating their friendship you know staying out of their way and letting that happen but they both used to say that they appreciated that I didn't have him up on a pedestal all the time that I was realistic about who they were. That's beautifully said. Yeah, that was, yeah. Okay, well, that is a great answer. Um, But I have the cheat code because I I asked Solomon what what he would say is the best thing about having you for a mom. And I'm going to read it verbatim because it is amazing. He texted me this last night. He said, the favorite thing that my sister and I love about our mom is that she is this fierce but comforting love for us. She protected us at every moment she could and she had to a lot raising two biracial kids in Texas. At the same time, we knew she was not to mess with. She always found a way to give us that nurturing love that would make us feel at home and so comforted. She is our best friend, but also our mama, raised us to be perspective, genuine, and fierce little kids. We love our mama. (laughs) So there you have it. In addition to the toll tags. There's a lot, there's a lot there. And I, I, I just said, Solomon, like it made me tear up when I read it. And I told him that I said, thank you for sharing that. And I know it's going to mean a lot to your mom. And I just, hmm. you're amazing. And, thank you. you know, I, I know that we hmm. talk about a lot on this podcast, making space to tell people how we feel about them, even though I'm sure, you know, Solomon feels all those <laughs> things. Like, what is it like to, it's nice to hear, to it. hear it? Yeah. Yeah. You might have to send it to me because there are days I might need to read it. I will will absolutely send it to you. Those are the days. You can put it up next to your, um, the pictures of the hearts, the the various. Yes. And the receipts from the toll. (laughs) (laughs) Paid those two. Uh, Martha, you are a gift. I I can't wait to to connect with you. And I hope to meet you in person one of these days. And again, the next time we all get together for this podcast, I'm saying we're going, we're going to Sydney. Right? Can we do that? Can we go to Australia? Yes. All right. Martha, thank you. Thank Thank you, Martha. Thank you both. I don't really know how we put a bow on that conversation, Lisa, other than just to say that, like, I want to say thank you for introducing me to Martha Thomas because she's absolutely incredible. And I, I think it's so meaningful. I know that it is meaningful to have these conversations. I cannot get out of my head the analogy that she gave us about the plane and the numbers surrounding suicide, which is now, mm-hmm. like I was just reading the other day, it's the second leading cause of death for adolescents and young people. Yeah. So it's obviously an epidemic that's it building epidemic. and something needs to be done. Yes. So yes. there, I appreciate her and the defensive line for t- being proactive and trying to help. And, and I'm sure they've helped hundreds of people out there already. So let's keep it rolling. No yeah. doubt about it. The, de- the defensive line.org. If you want to go find out more, they've got a great website and a lot of different resources there. And And just, I guess, Lisa, the one last thing I would ask you as we wrap this up is she said something that also stuck with me. And I imagine as a mom of an NFL player, it stuck with you too. She said, if you don't have a mental health problem going into the NFL, you'll have one (laughs) when you get there because of the pressure and all of the things. Yeah. The intensity. It's, it's, yeah. It almost should be part of, 
Yeah, it and, should be part of it. So what what is Christian? Do you talk to Christian about it? Like where? Um, what, well, what now guys, I'm going to for sure. Yeah. But but I do. I mean, I I, pro, I either text or call him every day. Hey, how are you? How does your? But I'm mostly like, how's your body feel? What's yeah. going on? But and I and to be honest, when I talk to him, I try to not dwell on football and talk exclusively about football. Ask like how he's doing, but after talking to her, I want to go deeper, like ask the harder questions just to make sure, keep tabs, make sure he's okay. Cause you know, I know it's a lot of pressure and I know the last two years for him were really, really, really hard years. And um, so I'm, that's, has to affect him, but yeah, no, after listening to that, I do, I feel like uh, everybody should talk to somebody, have somebody that can bounce things off and be a hundred percent honest with them too, and not have that, you know, the macho, like everything's fine. No, nothing's wrong. You know, that's, oh, it's, they need somebody that they can be vulnerable with and share their story with. And, you know, and everyone has issues and get I so, couldn't yeah. agree more with you, Lisa. And I just think like, you know, you talk about stories, like we tell stories to make sense of our worlds. And I think hearing other people's stories is critical to the human experience and everyone understanding like that your story is important. And also that like the self-compassion that suffering and struggling is part of the human experience, right? Like a lot of people suffer and it's not that you're doing anything wrong because right. you're having a hard time. And that's, I think what makes mental health so difficult because people feel like they should have like, well, they feel like they're the only ones going yeah, through this and yeah. no one else. But the more you talk about, it, you realize, wow, everybody has these issues. Everybody has these things. Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah, absolutely. So no. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you our listeners. Thank you to Martha Thomas so much incredible special work. Ella, um, you know, I, I, I think of, I've never met her and I, I think about her all the time and I just, I hope, and I know that we will keep her memory alive and Solomon Thomas, you are amazing. You are a gift to this world and to your mother and to all of us. And I just want to say, I'm glad that you never took Lisa up on taking any baths in her hotel room. That was a good call by you. We'll see you next week, everybody.